Welcome to GenCast, a sponsored podcast brought to you by Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. I'm Udwak Thomas, your host for today's episode. Nearly 60 years after their discovery, interest in adeno-associated viruses is on the rise due to their effectiveness as a vector for delivering gene therapies. Some of the key factors that make AAVs such an attractive vehicle for gene therapies are their non-pathogenic nature, their ability to infect both dividing and non-dividing cells, and their relatively low immunogenicity. Over the years, scientists have made significant strides in using AAV gene therapies to treat various genetic disorders, such as hemophilia, muscular dystrophy, and inherited retinal diseases. In 2017, Luxterna, a gene therapy medication manufactured by Spark Therapeutics and indicated for treating people with vision loss due to inherited retinal dystrophy, became the first in vivo gene therapy to receive regulatory approval from the US Food and Drug Administration. However, along with these advancements, a number of regulatory challenges have arisen. Besides concerns about potential adverse immune responses and questions about the durability of therapeutic effects and more, one of the biggest challenges that the industry is contending with is that the current guidelines are quite general and were not really designed for AAV gene therapies. And this can make the road to drug approval somewhat rocky. Thankfully, stakeholders from public and private entities are working individually and collectively on strategies for addressing these issues to ensure the continued advancement and successful integration of AAV gene therapies. In this episode of GenCast, I sat down with Maria Orio, an expert in navigating biopharmaceutical regulatory affairs to discuss the topic in much more detail. Maria works at Virogen, a contract development and manufacturing organization based in Spain. Welcome to the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us about your role at Virogen? Sure, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. My name is Maria Orio, and I'm the head of the Regulatory Affairs Group at Virogen. Awesome. Welcome, Maria. Uh, can you briefly explain what Virogen is and what you specialize in? So Virogen is a CDMO, which is specialized on the development and production of AV gene therapy products. And Virogen has developed their own proprietary suspension triple transfection platform for the manufacturing process of these products. Excellent. That's very interesting. Let's dig in a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the primary objective of Virogen is? Of course. So our main goal at Virogen is to manufacture medicines for individuals with genetic diseases. And as a CDMO, Virogen's mission is to support our clients from development to the commercial manufacture of gene therapy drugs to ensure they obtain they obtain these therapeutics at the highest quality, right time, and right scale to meet the needs of their patients worldwide. Excellent. And obviously, since we're talking about medicines, we have to have some conversation about regulation. So let's talk a little bit about that. How does Virogen assist in regulatory matters? So within our regulatory department at Virogen, we provide our clients mainly with CMC support. 
This means or this involves the preparation of the Model 3 documentation, which is required for any regulatory submission. And Vargen um, also provides with technical support for uh, drafting briefing documents and questions for any regulatory interaction. And we also participate, if necessary, in meetings with the health authorities. And Vargen also supports our clients with the response to questions related to the quality piece, uh, questions, questions coming from the health authorities, whether it's a pre or post submission. Excellent, excellent. Uh, still staying on the question of the, the regulatory issue. Obviously, you work with global clients. So how does that affect your regulatory procedures? So as a CDMO uh, collaborating with clients worldwide, we are actively involved in numerous regulatory procedures with various health authorities, like, for instance, FDA, EMA, Health Canada, MHRA, and this extensive experience allows us to witness the evolution of the regulatory recommendations for AV products over time. Excellent. That's very interesting. So obviously, I would imagine there, there are a few challenges, you know, in, in the regulatory space uh, when we're talking about gene therapies. So I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the challenges that you encounter as a company in gene therapy regulatory interactions. Oh, certainly. So the regulatory interactions in the field of gene therapy are complex and they present significant challenges, as you said. And as our understanding of AV and gene therapy advances, so does the complexity of the submission and approval processes for these therapeutics. So I would say that uh, one of the biggest challenges we are currently, or the industry is currently facing, is the lack of a specific regulatory guidance for gene therapy. So the existing requirements are often general and not tailored to this innovative field, let's say. Consequently, the pathway to the regulatory approval can be uncertain and somehow subject to evolving and stringent requirements imposed by the regulatory agencies. However, uh, this allows some flexibility and the regulators are open to discuss innovative strategies. Thankfully, the landscape is changing and more public and private entities are joining efforts to provide support for these therapies or uh, for this type of therapies, trying their best to improve the quality of the products. An example uh, to this would be the draft on manufacturing changes and comparability guidance that the FDA recently um, released. But, uh, but I, I would like to give you an example of an actual challenge. So when it comes to analytical development, previously the industry used ITR-QPCR as titration method, which is used then to calculate the dose that will be used to, uh, to treat the patients. However, and since the coefficient of variation of this technique is greater than 15%, the regulators encourage the industry to reduce this coefficient of variation to then be able to come up with a more accurate dose. So the regulatory agencies are also emphasizing consistency between clinical and commercial design strategies. Additionally, they are also requesting for a late phase release testing strategy, including more than one independent measure for a certain quality attribute, like following an orthogonal approach to ensure consistent drug product quality. And they are strongly recommending considering this as part of the product um, development. 
So in order to address these challenges, over the last years, Varagen has focused on analytical development to fulfill these requirements. Another big challenge we are currently facing is setting acceptance criteria for quality attributes when there is insufficient data available to make informed decisions, you know. But this doesn't necessarily mean that knowledge, the knowledge of the product is limited, but the data generated around a certain product may be limited due to the characteristics of these um, therapies. So for instance, two years ago, the regulatory agencies were um, accepting the approach of not setting acceptance criteria for certain quality attributes in early clinical phases. However, recently, there's been an increasing demand from the regulators to set acceptance criteria for residual impurities, even in phase one clinical trials. We have recently had an uh, pre-MD interaction with the FDA and they specifically, specifically requested for this. But as I mentioned, setting acceptance criteria at early stages of development is very challenging due to the limited data available. So in this regard, Varagem has developed an approach where we leverage the historical data of different batches produced. So by using a platform manufacturing process and analyzing the collective historical data statistically, we can then cluster the data and consequently increase the data set. So this allows us to propose acceptance criteria for different quality attributes. So summarizing by utilizing historical data and conducting statistical analysis, it becomes possible to establish acceptance criteria for different quality attributes, even with little, limited available data. Wonderful, thank you so much. That was a very comprehensive answer. It's really interesting to see how the landscape is changing and hear about all the, the collaboration that's going on to, to make that possible. Thank you for that. For my next question, I was wondering, when it comes to rare and ultra rare diseases, what is the impact of the small patient population on material requirements and knowledge from a CMC perspective? So that's a very good question. And it's actually another big challenge that we are currently facing in these therapies. So small patient populations affected by rare and ultra-rare diseases means that there's often a limited amount of drug product generated to treat these patients. So again, the data generated around a certain product may be limited. This means that it may be needed to use multiple sources of manufacturing data to define critical quality attributes, critical process parameters, and key process parameters for process characterization and PPQ requirements. So as an example, regarding process validation, a full process characterization, and three successful PPQ runs are typically expected to be produced for small molecules and biologics. However, if we produce three PPQ runs at commercial scale for gene therapies, we may have, for gene therapies for rare and ultra-rare diseases we're talking, we may have material to treat the entire population of an ultra-rare disease, even for ge several generations. Thankfully, the regulatory agencies are really open to negotiating this traditional approach, provided a strong justification and science-based justification is given, like I said, for instance, leveraging multiple sources of manufacturing data. So in this regard, we've actually seen that the regulatory agencies are really eager to support gene therapy sponsors 
and they encourage them to be creative when it comes to clinical trial design and CMC strategy. They're really open to new approaches and foster a close and transparent relationship with sponsors. They are happy to even have informal discussions to make it work. So they are really, really open to uh, to make this work. Therefore, therefore, and linked to them previous comment about rare and rare diseases, I would say that this is an open door and uh, a big opportunity to develop a commercial manufacturing process plan and avoid delays for a rapid acceleration into people talent commercialization. Wonderful. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much, Maria. I appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Thanks to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of GenCast. For genetic engineering and biotechnology news, I'm Uduak Thomas. Thank you so much and bye for now.